0: Lieutenant Governor of Georgia, Jeff Duncan, is a former businessman, a former baseball player, but he's also the author of an incredibly important new book, GOP 2.0. Lieutenant Governor, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Absolutely. Glad to be here.
0: Um, the tendency is to think of America as being a conservative country, but Actually, if you look back over recent years, the last time that the Conservative Party in America won a majority of votes in a presidential election was 2004. Um, Over the past 20 years, you may have had uh, Republican candidates in the White House, but um, you haven't really had... Conservative majorities. In fact, many states in America have become less conservative. You've written an important book about this. What what do you think conservatives have got wrong, and what do you think they need to do differently if they're going to win again? Yeah,
1: I think a majority of America, as you describe, actually sits in the middle, Um, and and the middle is is a wide uh, quadri of of I think descriptions. Right, it's it's in the middle on policies, and and can float back and forth based on the current time. Uh, current uh, events but also the middle seems to be represented by the folks that that don't they're not angry about their political positions uh and they they simply want to be talked to uh not talked at uh, so I think that's part of the mix that's going on here. conservatives quite honestly have to tap into that uh, I'm one of those people that my my voting record uh my policy positions are are very conservative uh very easy to to point to those conservative uh, check marks but, I think though we, we've got to start to have conversations, and GOP 2.0 is about calling a safe place to call home where we can agree on a majority of stuff, but disagree on some things, but but really create a platform of debate. That's what, in my opinion, America is waiting for.
0: So you think that it, it should be possible to agree with conservatives on seventy percent of issues, eighty percent of issues, but but you don't, you shouldn't feel obliged to sign up to absolutely every dogma. Yeah, I, you know we we th-
1: this is my peak behind the curtain i was in uh, the state house of representatives in georgia for 5 years and then as lieutenant governor now this is my fourth my fourth year what i've realized is there's actually two different lanes that that most people just describe as politics right there's the policy lane of politics which is obviously conservative and liberal policies but there's also the campaign side of it and there could not be a further divide between campaigning and policy uh, as we see today and so uh, folks you know, seem to be having to promise everything in the world and, and feed their base, which then makes them even more alienated from actually being able to solve real problems in the policy lane. Mm-hmm. So they arrive into elected office very scarred, very pot committed to things that they had to win and do and say to win primaries, but not necessarily to problem solve.
0: Do you think part of this is exacerbated by digital technology? I mean, digital has sort of democratized opinion forming. But it also means you know, who, who speaks for the conservative interest. A, a generation or two ago, it was obvious they would be, you know, the, the, the chairman of the local Republican Party or there would be a sort of a, a hierarchy of, of uh, spokespeople for a particular political point of view. But but now anyone can say anything. And in a sense, you know, the, the idea of who is it who's speaking for the conservatives? Well, if, if conservatives aren't careful, it, it, it might be people who um, are actually, in some cases, rather repugnant to middle-of-the-road middle, middle voters. Social media has made the outside
1: fringe elements in both parties seem like they're much bigger than they actually are. Um, you know, somebody that's got a handful of Twitter followers or Instagram followers or Facebook followers uh, is able to kind of spew whatever kind of lane they want to take. And, and stir the pot, and it certainly feels much much bigger. Uh, in just the ten years I've been in and around elected office, it certainly has changed the local dynamics in local GOP meetings. Has gone from a group of problem solvers, business owners, just kind of you know your average run of the mill constituents, you know members of the community, to this this room that wants to be visceral and vile in so many settings. Mm-hmm and and really just create a series of you know food fights instead of you know uh, solutions mm-hmm. and 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 my my friends on the other side of the aisle report the same right i don't certainly show up at any sort of uh, democratic you know local party meetings uh but they report the same that it's almost turned into this fringe element this 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 you know uh
0: stage to to just spew nonsense at times do you, do you think open primaries is part of the problem do you think that perhaps encourages people seeking office to pander to a base and that then precludes them from being able to create a sort of consensus or or reach out to middle-of-the-road voters.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think about the way we operate here in Georgia. If we, the people, paid more attention to the the, the quality of a candidate instead of their 10-second soundbite that they run on B-roll right before you watch a YouTube video uh, or you pay attention to a 30-cent flyer that shows up in your mailbox, it just spews nonsense. If we paid more attention to digging into the qualities and the vision of that candidate, I think the the primary process as we see it today works just
0: fine. Um,
1: but 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 when we don't, it, it short circuits the system.
0: I, I have a lot of sympathy for that point of view. I mean. We're not partisan here as a think tank um, in Mississippi, but we certainly advocate conservative policies. And I'm I'm very struck by how many people who seek office, provided they say the right slogan or have the the right sort of uh, bumper sticker approach to a particular issue like uh, uh, gun rights or abortion. No one then sort of questions them any further on things like school choice or what they're going to do with the state budget surplus. So perhaps, you know, it, it, it precludes us asking and expecting more of, of, of those we choose from office if we just sort of tick, tick the slogan and, and, and don't look beyond.
1: Yeah, we, we the people have got to care more about leadership than those 10 second sound bites. And I will, I will encourage everybody listening that we all pay massive amounts of attention to the federal elections, to the president, to Congress, the Senate, But the reality is your state local officials, your local elected officials have more to do and say about your course of life, whether how you run your business, educate your kids, commute to work, uh, you know, how safe your neighborhoods are. All of that is done at the state and local level. But yet the national level kind of preys on that and uses those issues to to drive wedges in our
0: communities. If I was a a Democrat strategist looking ahead, I would almost want the conservative interest in America to focus on, Um, you know, maybe identity politics, I would want them to focus on things that are going to really excite their base, but not increase the number of supporters that they they get. Do you think there's a slight danger that as we head into the midterms, if, if conservatives are not careful, they could actually end up doing doing the Democrats work for them?
1: Yeah, there, there's there's no majority big enough now that you don't have to get your base out and also get a piece, a sizable piece of the middle. Mm-hmm. And so we run the risk of short circuiting again, whether our base stays home because they're unmotivated and they just feel like it's a layup uh, or you continue to run candidates out there that just to, you know, for, for the most part, you you know, not enough Republicans or, or or moderates can can stomach voting for them. I mean, that that's really what played out for Donald Trump here in Georgia. Was you know you 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 watch all these candidates get a majority of of Republicans uh you know of, of the votes, but then they just couldn't bear to, to vote for. Them.
0: You you'd be very big on this idea of civility, and you know I am I'm, I'm very struck by you know um, the fact that America has had leaders like Ronald Reagan who you know incredibly respectful to his opponents. Um, you know um, even some sort of people like Jimmy Carter. You know um, they were fighting each other for um political um dominance um but th- there was an incredible sort of recognition that actually they were fellow americans and um they were decent patriotic people even though they were in a different party from one another um what do you think someone like ronald reagan would think of of january the 6th what do you think um you know previous generations of republicans would make of that do you do you think they would Despair. Do you think they would, um, you know, do you think they would see it as a, a terminal condition? You know, what, what's gone wrong? What, what what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I think they would be appalled um, at at us getting to that. I think just the, the fact that our country got to that moment, uh, you know, we should be as thankful for what we have in America as any country in the history of the world, and yet we arrived at that moment with angst and anger and a visceral divide of epic proportion. So yes, I do think that they would they would be appalled by it. But I also think they would see what I see. And that is that was a catalyst moment. January 6th was a catalyst moment for, for a better direction. And that was really, you know, the GOP 2.0 mindset was, you know what, we need a safe place to call home for common sense conservatives. People who, who understand conservative principles can recite them in a way that allows folks to, to understand that is the best way to win. In the book, I talk a lot about my pet project, policy, empathy, and tone and we got to start getting back to winning elections because our policies just make more sense in in around the kitchen table and at the board table you know whether somebody's running a business i mean just put your policies on display and and i think if we do that conservatives have a great shot to win a majority of the elections
0: that we face i mean i i think virginia was was proof of that when conservatives stood for office and offered a compelling retail proposition to the electorate uh, 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 the policy of giving People control over more control over their child's education. They 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 did incredibly well. Yeah, um, Glenn Youngkin did a great job of putting that issue out there.
1: The Democrats stumbled on it. His opponent uh, made made a gaffe, and 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 he was able to run through that lane. That was a policy based election, in my opinion. And there's so many other issues that we can win. Right, difficult issues, issues that you know everybody wants to steer away from just because it doesn't feel like there's an answer right? You take the issue of of immigration. There's an answer for immigration. It just is, is, it's a more mature answer than just saying build a wall. It's build a wall and talk about the 16 million undocumented folks that are here. Guns, same thing. There's a very mature conversation to have that, that one doesn't say everybody should be armed and also says, no, not, you know, we shouldn't take away everyone's guns. It's an answer that is wisdom filled that talks about 16 to 25 year old males that for whatever reason are doing terrible things in communities, whether it be gangs or acts of violence based upon mental health conditions.
0: Like, let's go focus on that problem. Mm-hmm. You you can uh, maintain and respect the bill of rights and yet make sure that people who are perhaps dangerous with firearms aren't
1: able to access them. No. And that to me is where a majority of Americans are sitting. And I don't say that to win an election. I say that to actually make a, a positive difference and protect my sec- my Second Amendment,
0: which I certainly believe in. Are there other policies that you think need to be articulated and developed, like like um like education you were talking about in Virginia?
1: Yeah, I think education is is a huge area, area of opportunity. I think for conservatives, we win on this issue yeah. when a uh, you know single mom with two jobs and two kids. Uh, when you ask her what she cares the most about, she's like, make my neighborhood safer and make my schools better performing. We as Republicans can do that. I think immigration is an incredibly good issue that we can win on. Right. You know, Donald Trump made a couple of couple of mistakes with immigration. One, he didn't he didn't finish the wall and he didn't build it tall enough. And oh, by the way, he also didn't talk about the 16 million undocumented folks, some of which are paying taxes and embedded in our economies. Mm -hmm. Some of them don't deserve the right to be in in our country. They have lied or committed crimes or done something uh, wrong. But we got to go have that. And I think also one other issue is a huge area of opportunity is health care. Right. Why are we not owning the conversation around healthcare, driving down costs and increasing access? That's that's a problem that we can solve as Republicans. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, you talked your second priority was was empathy. Um, you know, I, I stood for parliament in Britain and I, I um, got reelected on four, four separate occasions. And I I firmly came to think that until you show empathy, until you show people that you're on their side, you share their concerns, you, you're not going to be listened to. You, you've almost got to earn the right to be to be heard. Um, what, what more do you think conservatives can do to to show empathy, to to, to win over that 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 trust of ordinary Americans?
1: Empathy in mo- most times is a conscious decision. It's not a natural instinct. Right. You have to choose to be empathetic. You have to choose to understand what somebody's having to go through. And in the book, I talk about the power of two, the power of three, the power of more. And I think empathy starts by having some friends on the other side of the aisle that you can talk to and converse with, right? So I get to go to have a cup of coffee with a friend that's a Democrat. I'm not gonna believe uh, what they believe and they're not gonna believe what I believe, but it takes the edge off of when I hear an argument on the other side of the aisle. The power of three is go gather your information from more than one source. You can't just sit in front of Fox News 23 and a half hours out of the day or CNN or whatever. Pick up the Wall Street Journal, listen to NPR on the way to work. And then gather some information from other sources. So for me, we have to consciously choose to understand what it's like to be uninsured or underinsured. We Mm -hmm. have to understand what it's like to live a life in and around poverty or raise a family without uh, a college degree or a high school degree. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those are things we have to choose to understand. And they'll help us understand ways to figure out solutions Mm -hmm. that aren't necessarily about uh, building bigger government programs. I talk also in the book about the four C's using churches and charities and corporations and citizens as the cornerstone to problem solve around some of the most expensive government programs, you know, in our government is things to try to solve poverty. Government's terrible at solving poverty, Mm. but churches and charities and corporations and citizens who want to be positive difference makers show up there with volunteerism and exit strategy and all these big ideas that government will never be good at. Mm. The
0: the third area you talk about is is tone. Um, I I think tone is incredibly important a lot of people I know don't actually decide who they're going to vote for by reading their policies they don't actually carefully weigh up the different options um what they do is they 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 look at someone and they they kind of think is this is this person someone I can trust and if you adopt a very strident tone you 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 make it very difficult to win over these sort of ambivalent Ambivalent middle. I spent a lot of my time in Britain involved in the politics of Brexit, and I I basically spent most of my time trying to make sure that Brexit wasn't defined by some of Brexit's most strident supporters, because if they were able to dominate the conversation about Brexit, you can be guaranteed that undecided voters wouldn't have supported it. Um, what What do you think we need to do to to change the tone for conservatives in America? yeah
1: we we have got to be proud conservatives not angry conservatives right mm-hmm. angry angry works uh maybe in a primary but it, it hurts you in a general election when you're trying to convince those folks in the middle that tone does matter a lot mm-hmm. uh you know we don't it, it strikes me in politics in in the the 10 years I've been around it there seems to be a hall pass in and around politics to talk to people in a in a, in a degrading way mm-hmm. in a demeaning way in a in a misinformation way right for example, let's talk the post-election period of time where all the misinformation and the conspiracy theories were flying around. If anybody showed up to work the job right, where they get a paycheck and they acted like that, they'd been fired on the spot, their mm-hmm. career would have been over. But yet in politics, we give people a hall pass like guys like Rudy Giuliani to spew venom and hate and lies and misinformation all in the in, in, in the pursuit of a victory. But is it really a victory? right? You're, 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 you're at a diminished position to actually make a policy adjustment if you if you happen to short circuit the system and win by those means. So to me, tone is so important. You know, we don't talk like, like that in our churches, in our ball fields, at our kitchen tables, or certainly even in our own marriages. We don't communicate like we do in politics. But yet some of the most important decisions that we make in this country are wrapped in and around
0: politics. Uh, I mean, America's a relatively young republic it's been going for sort of 240 years and i would say it's probably the most successful republic in in human history but in order for america to be successful the republic has to have certain certain sort of basic fundamentals observed one is this idea that you know Um, when people lose an election they concede defeat Uh, the other is that you know you don't try to use judicial power or the power of the administrative state to sort of take down your your opponents do you think there's a real danger on both sides that if this doesn't de-escalate America might start to resemble some of the less happy republics uh, to the south
1: yeah, I, I I worry that there's this environment that this this kind of culture starting to form that puts a, people's personal interest over the country, right? For example, that D- Donald Trump, right? The good of the country was for him to step aside after he realized and everybody else realized in overwhelming majorities that the election wasn't rigged and it was he lost. Just frankly, the guy I voted for lost. Uh, when 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 the the, the taste of victory is more important than, than the sweetness of, of, of our country, uh, we've got problems. And, uh, I think there is a deflection back away from that. I think we, I think a majority of Americans saw us get closer to that line, um, that, that, that worried people that didn't feel American. And there's this process of pulling back and it's not overnight and it's not immediate. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, uh, when personalities are more important than, than leadership, uh, that we we stretch and strain this republic in ways that i don't i don't i'm not comfortable with
0: we've seen a number of figures on on the on the right um point out for example that what happened on january the sixth was disgraceful who've made the case that actually yes there may have been some voter fraud but the idea that the election was stolen is is absurd and quite often they've been been vilified do you feel kind of quite brave for taking this position, or, or do you think actually most of the people you serve agree with you? Uh, two, two-part two answer. One, I, I just feel like I'm doing what,
1: what my job is, and that's that's to be an honest umpire uh, and to do the right thing. Uh, and so that's what I was hired by nearly uh, 12 million Georgians to do. And so that's what I'm just, that's what I'm wired to do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and yes, I do believe a majority of Americans believe that the election wasn't stolen And that we did get close to a line that we should never have gotten close to on January 6th and that we do need to migrate back towards being a nation of solutions. And the party that comes up with the best solutions should win the elections. It's just there there doesn't feel like there's a safe place to call home for that. Right. I think there's some buyer's remorse of folks in the middle. And this is an incredibly good opportunity for us as Republicans or conservatives. Uh, to to swing the the pendulum back our way because there's a number of folks in the middle that are reluctant buyers of Joe Biden's policies and, and execution of the White House uh, of his of his job description. But if we just simply continue to stir up the embers of 2020, we're going to miss a fantastic opportunity to 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 win these big offices again. Yeah, like for I, I think one of the challenges we're facing right now is what seemed a few months ago like in an inevitable victory in both the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate is now looking like we might just get a marginal victory in the US House, right? That's our fault. That's our fault. That was because we got so uh, fixated on on electing the the loudest Republican in the primary instead of the best Republican in the primary.
0: Yeah, there must be millions of Americans who for whatever reason voted Democrat, good decent patriotic Americans who for whatever reason voted for Biden and inevitably, such as the nation of politics will be disillusioned or disappointed, and who are in the market for for voting the other way? But if you constantly uh, wag your finger at them and suggest that there was something improper about their previous choice, you're not you're not going to you're not going to win them over. Yeah,
1: yeah you're, you're you're spot on. I mean, there's so many metrics here in Georgia alone that you can show where so many people left the presidential race blank. They were they were card carrying Republicans that just couldn't vote for Donald Trump, but wasn't going to vote for the other side. And there was so many folks that voted for a republican uh state senate i mean in, in the state senate which i'm the president of the state senate i think the number was uh 54 55 percent voted for a republican state senator yet 49 and a half percent voted for a republican president
0: right I, I i'm very taken by how how clearly you articulate this this need need for change um I, I'm also very struck by how many Republicans at a national level have been, you know, people who ought to know better have have not stood up. And and one or two, like Liz Cheney, have famously come out and, 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 and made their uh, uh, concerns very clear. But an awful lot have sort of gone along with it. In the immediate aftermath of January the 6th, there were many Republicans who made it clear that they thought that was disgraceful. They, they sort of suddenly fallen silent. Do you, do, you, do you think this, this, this is a, a, a broader problem for um, the, the next generation of Republican leadership? Do you think they, they sort of have become guilty by association with
1: what's going on? I hope it's just a temporary moment of insanity. Um, I hope it's just a period of time that folks are confused and they've lost kind of their, 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 their moorings. Uh, because this addiction to short-term sugar highs of winning one seat or one leadership role uh, you know, Kevin McCarthy is a prime example. He got it right right out of the gates, and it only took him a few days to to switch sides and, and get it wrong because he simply saw a political opportunity that was worth it for him. He put it on the scales and said, "I'd rather I'd rather change my position, get it wrong, side with folks that are lying, also I can call myself Speaker of the House at at some point or put myself in a position." That's not that's not American. That's not what we should do. We should do and say the right thing and know that the long term gains are are more valuable than the short-term sugar highs of chasing one single election.
0: As, a, as an outsider who's only been in America for, a, what, less than two years, I'm always struck by the incredible civility of Americans. Um, Americans might not know this, but they are the politest people on earth. Um, and yet, when you Listen to some of the political debate in America. It, it, it's very, very, very different. So I, I, I think your point about um, some of this politics being un-American is a, is a very good one. Um, optimism. Um, do you think that pessimism is part of the problem, both both left and right in their different ways? Um, tend to be quite pessimistic. The, the, the progressive left seems to think that you know um, uh, America's beset by racism and hatred and and, and the failure of corporate capitalism. O- on the right, you get this sort of sense of pessimism that you know America's falling apart, it's being uh, swamped by immigrants. Do you think pessimism is part of the problem? if If the narrative is inherently pessimistic, it allows it brings out the worst in in, in political leaders.
1: Yeah, there's a vacuum of leadership of epic proportion in this country, both on on both sides of the aisle. And that lack of leadership is what has allowed the pessimism to sneak in and and stoke it. There's nobody casting a vision. Joe Biden is not on TV literally casting a vision forward of where this country can go well past his term. Nobody on the right, Donald Trump, isn't out there trying to to vision cast and talk about a plan and a strategy to get America back to where it was at before. Um, They're simply just playing defense for the day. Donald Trump's trying to defend what whatever's going on in Mar-a-Lago and who knows why he had boxes of classified documents. And Joe Biden's trying to figure out how he explains 86% of Americans are now going to pay for 14% of people that have student loans, right? They're, 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 they're playing moment. And, and I've often said this. I, I don't really mean to say this in, in a derogative way, but we wouldn't pick Joe Biden or Donald Trump to run a lemonade stand, but yet we've
0: elected them to be our presidents the last two times. It um, is we deserve better a country of 300 plus million people that has produced so many great innovations i think yeah it deserves deserves high quality leadership at the very top um, your your um, gop 2.0 it's not just a book it, it, it's a movement what are you what are you looking to to do are you are you looking to have an active role beyond simply talking about the these problems
1: yeah look gop 2.0 is a safe place to call home it's not a new party uh, it's a safe place to call home for common sense conservatives. And, and the opportunity is just like this here, right? GOP 2.0 is, is a book that's that was the starting point, but it's it's speeches, it's forums, it's uh media events, it's uh opportunities to to share uh this this better pathway forward for the Republican Party. And it's been incredible to watch the momentum gain uh since uh since all of this unfortunate chaos started, just the hours of you know post-election in, in November 2020. Uh, and yes, we hope to play an active role in how we shape some of these elections going forward. Uh, you know, we don't plan on getting deep in the weeds and trying to tear people's reputations apart. We simply want to create a pathway forward. Uh, I would prefer to never mention the name Donald Trump again. I would prefer to never mention January 6th again. Unfortunately, it's just woven into who we are at this moment in time. But I want to talk about ways that we can win going forward because, you know, yes, we talk about politics a lot. But a majority of Americans are sitting at their kitchen table talking about, hey, do we have enough money to buy groceries tonight after we eat dinner? Hey, do we have enough money to fill up the cars to go to go take the kids to school and go to work tomorrow? Mm -hmm. Uh, These are real conversations are happening. And those are where I think we need to focus on as Americans. Certainly, I think conservatives are better handled, better positioned to do that. But that's where I think we need to center the focus. And
0: that's where 2.0 is going. Talking about that is hard. It's difficult. These are difficult problems. Um, whereas talking about building a wall or talking about, um, you know, um, what's wrong with the transgender movement, that, that's that's easy. Um, so, yeah, I, it's going to it's going to take a, a lot of a lot of a lot of hard work. But, yeah. but that's
1: leadership. Right. So leadership is going to point, you know, uh, 300 plus million Americans in a direction that says, hey, here's an issue. Uh, let's go tackle it with this set of, of, of solutions. And oh, by the way, let's compromise on as little as we can, but know that we have to compromise. I mean, it goes back to Ronald Reagan's 80-20 rule. I mentioned it in the book several times, right? You know, look, we 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 need to gravitate towards and accept 80% victories on this stuff, knowing that it helps the country move the ball forward.